Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship more accessible by sharing down-to-earth horse training advice, practical tips, and examples from our own experiences as up-and-coming trainers. If you'd like your horsemanship questions answered on the podcast, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Horses. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Lundell Performance Project Horse Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss how we approach and solve issues around saddling colts for the first time. We're also going to build on our last Advanced Horsemanship 101 segment, where we introduced a couple of rollback exercises that lay the foundation for advanced stops. We're going to continue with some additional stopping drills on the fence, and whether you're going to carry that forward into rundowns or sliding stops like we do, or you just want your horses to stop really well off of woe or a light draw on the reins, you're going to find these exercises very helpful. So let's talk about saddling colts to start with. Specifically, we're going to talk about our general approach and mindset and how we try to prevent issues, but we're also going to discuss a three-year-old we have in our program right now who's developed a bad habit of bucking every time he gets saddled. How that came about, how we're addressing it now. So everything we discuss is in reference to this particular horse, and even though a bucking problem of this intensity is rare, there are still valuable insights to be gained from this situation. So how did this horse get off to such a rough start? Well, before we talk about the specific case, I want to take you guys back a couple of years to a specific scenario that taught me a valuable lesson about the importance of the saddling process going well when you're starting a colt out. Basically, I was at a clinic where it was my job to work with one of the colts that was there and run it through first saddling. So I'd done a lot of groundwork with this horse, got its feet moving, blah, blah, blah. We were kind of under the gun as far as time limit goes. So my goal was to hit all the notes of the process of preparation and then get the saddle on and try to move through as quickly as possible. Well, this particular horse was pretty feely, sensitive and athletic. And what ended up happening was, as I was going to get the saddle on, so I, I had this horse in the middle of the round pin, and I had her head tipped towards me, obviously, and I was doing the girth up, but I didn't have it buckled, I didn't have it tightened the way it needed to be. And this horse, as some colts or young fillies will do when you start doing that girth up tight for the first time, she reached around and bit me on the arm, on my left arm that was closest to her. And my instinctive reaction was to not even whack her hard, but just kind of bump her mouth out of the way with my elbow. But that kind of bop on the nose surprised and shocked her a little bit, and she suddenly jumped. She tensed up, and obviously the saddle moved, which scared her, and she jumped sideways, and the saddle fell off. Anybody who works with young horses a lot will tell you that the number one thing that cannot happen when you do a first saddling, is that the horse actually manages to get the saddle off, whether they buck the saddle off or it falls on the ground because you make a mistake in the saddling process and it scares the horse. One of those two things is like a catastrophe, basically. So I ended up having to do about a half hour, maybe 45 minutes extra work to smooth over the damage and repair the mistake I had made during the saddling process. And the moral of the story was that you can't make that experience more intense than it needs to be. And you kind of have to let the horses respect and, and just your standards. You need to let things slide a little bit to focus on the bigger priority, 
which is building the horse's confidence in that situation. You kind of have to let the horse mess with you a little bit. If they move around a little bit, if they're nudging you, if they're nipping at you, they're doing these other things that colts will do. You kind of just have to go with it. If you punish them for that in that situation, you just break their confidence at a crucial, delicate point. Right. And we, well, you see this a lot, um, especially in this stage with people saddling, where every little thing that they're doing with the horse, even if it's teaching them something new or something as big and kind of life-changing to the animal as for saddling, they're trying to micromanage everything that the horse is doing and nitpicking their behavior the whole way through. And so not only is the horse going to be saddled, but it's going to accept the process while maintaining an absolutely perfect behavior as well. And it's like, what what are your priorities here? We're, the saddling, especially the first saddling, all it is is get the saddle on the horse and make sure that you get the, the girths done up tight enough that it won't fall off if the horse were to buck and get yourself make out of the way if it does blow up so that it's a safe situation for you. You can't micromanage the horse's behavior in the moment. If they kind of fidget around or paw the ground or, you know, step around or walk or try to walk forward or, or, you know, reach around and try to nip you, you know, or, or really what they're doing is trying to bite whatever is, is, you know, creating that pressure on their girth. Mm-hmm. And if you try to micromanage that and it's like you forget what you're doing, the task at hand, you drop everything to address this little minute issue and it ends up creating this massive disaster. And it's not like saddling is supposed to be this cowboy, ah, throw them down, throw the saddle on, and let them blow up and buck it out. No. But you, at that point, if you're going to saddle a horse, at least in our program, if if we're saddling a horse, we've done groundwork leading up to that to prepare the horse to, we've established on the ground ways of which we can redirect or, or create movement in this horse's feet so that we have an element of control so we can ensure that this process goes as well as can be expected for a first saddling. Now, you're never going to be able to just saddle a horse up or do the preparation necessary to saddle a horse up and say, okay, this horse is going to handle it 100% perfectly. It's never going to buck, blah, blah, blah. There's about a 50-50 window. Some horses will buck, some will not. And whether they buck or not in the first saddling has zero merit on what they will do down the road. It has everything to do with how you handle it. And do you make a big deal of it day one? If it persists for the next couple of days afterwards, do you then ignore it or do you actually address it? It has everything to do with that. And whether they buck or not on the first saddling is not something you take personally or you worry about. You know, you can do groundwork until you're blue in the face and do groundwork for four years to try to ensure this thing won't buck with the saddle. And they still might. It's not something that's worthy of wasting your time about. You have to, we have to focus on the task at hand, which is get the saddle on, make sure it doesn't fall off. Oh, and don't, and make sure that if this horse were to buck, you don't get run over in the process with, you know, while they're bucking around blindly around the round pin. Yeah. Have enough control of their feet in preparation to where you're staying reasonably safe. You've got some control, but you do let your standards go a little bit in order to go with the flow, move with the horse a little bit and try to make it an easier process. Um, as I said before, what you don't want to have happen is that the horse gets the saddle off somehow because that's a huge release of pressure. That's then the door they go back to every time you put the saddle on is because they got a huge release of pressure when the saddle came off. And even in some cases, they'll start to fear the saddle itself. So it's important that in your saddling process, you don't jeopardize that initial do up the girth, get it buckled, get your back cinch buckled, step back 
have the saddle be secure enough that it's not going to come loose and come off. But the other thing you don't want to do is that when you initially send the horse off, whether it's the first saddling or the second or the third, you don't want to make that a big, intense, knockdown, dragout process either. That was a mistake that I know we've made and, and others make too, is that when you initially get that saddle on, obviously you want to stay safe. You want to get a significant amount of distance away from the horse. You want to keep them out of your personal space so you don't get plowed over right. if they do go to buck. But there's something to be said for yielding their hindquarters from a little distance oh, away, absolutely. kind of just easing their feet loose left and right. And maybe you can kind of coax them to not buck. If they do buck, it's not a big deal. But the worst thing you can do is just send them off in a big blast right. of energy. Exactly. And they get in a habit of being reactive and mindless whenever they are saddled. They, they're anticipating the, the knockdown, drag out, big, giant, intense session of groundwork that accompanies the saddle. They don't fear the saddle itself as they would if they got the saddle off and scared themselves, but it's a similar bad habit. Well, and there's that goes back to the point of, you know, when we're saddling the horse, there's a difference between the expectations we have when we're focusing strictly on groundwork and we're focusing on the saddling. Yeah. And so when we saddle a horse for the first time, You'll yield their hindquarters from a distance. You know, I'm going to be at the end of my lead rope yielding their hindquarters both ways to try and talk them out of that of potentially bucking. Now, if they do, I'm not offended. But for that first saddling, I'm going to try and set it up so maybe they don't, but who knows. But I'm not expecting a yes sir yield. When I go to lunge the horse off, I'm not going to point and then, you know, spank them on the shoulder and get them to jump their front end across and, yeah. and gallop off with high energy. I, I'm going to nag them onto that. Let them walk exactly. if they want. Let them just keep them out of my space. But I'm going to kind of be a fairy about it in a way, trying to keep my energy controlled and at least give the horse something to feed off of. Like one of us needs to be controlled in this situation. Yes. He doesn't know what to expect. So one of us needs to at least be confident in, in having that kind of passive, relaxed body language. Exactly. Be passive and relaxed and smooth, but still proficient and having the wherewithal to stay safe. That doesn't mean you lose your awareness, but you're just trying to show the horse that because it's a delicate situation, that doesn't mean you expect a lot of intensity and a big, big struggle whenever the saddle comes out. You don't want to create that mental habit that saddle goes on, it's hustle, hustle, move, move, move. You know, you're, you're like a drill sergeant out there. You kind of want to be the opposite. Almost in the beginning, you want to lower your expectations control-wise and be kind of a nagging mother and just kind of get the horse in the habit of easing off a right. little bit. Now, how does that relate to the horse that we're talking about? Well, he kind of has had the worst of both worlds. He's bucked the saddle off in the past a couple of times, Twice, at least that we yes. know of. And he's also gotten in that habit of sort of being reactive and mindless that whenever the saddle comes out, he's got to get ready for a big, intense battle exactly, of, a, of exactly. a groundwork session. Well, let's, yeah, let's set that up. So this horse is a three-year-old now. In his two-year-old year, he was worked with, he was started under saddle, and he had about two weeks of riding on, on him as a two-year-old. And then he had a whole year off. So two weeks of riding and then a year off is, I mean, you're, you're better off of not even riding in the first place. <laughs> it's not place, ideal, you know, yeah. first of all. But <laughs> for the two weeks of riding, I mean, he was controlled. They got him fairly broke in some sense. Like, he knows how to read your seat if you sit and relax and you can stop him with one rein. He understands that. That's about the level that he had for two weeks of riding, that particular exercise. That and just kind of a passenger lesson. But the one thing about him was... In the two weeks that in the starting that he had previously, he never had a back cinch on the saddle. And so that was a completely new experience. Well, then he got started again earlier this year with a back cinch. 
okay, now, you know, this, his first experience with the saddle had nothing to do with the back cinch. Now all of a sudden that shows up. And there's another good point to be made about if you're going to start a cult with a saddle, you might as well start it with a back cinch. Because after that, once you've started the cult with a back cinch, you never have, you can take it off and it yeah, doesn't matter. They're, they're used to that feel and it gives you more security and less chance of the saddle itself coming exactly. off. It's a win-win. Yes. But later on, if you don't, then later on you put it on. Well, now you have to deal with that. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of this situation. So add the back cinch, horse bucks with the saddle. Anyways, that frustrated the person that was working with this cult. And so they started getting after the horse and redirecting their feet really aggressively, sending them off really aggressively. When they would buck, you know, really kind of making a big issue out of you're going to buck. Well, I'm going to hustle your feet and faster than you can think about bucking type of a thing. And so, I mean, it did the whole deal of, you know, wearing the saddle all day, um, being tied up, worked multiple times during the day. And every time he'd stand there with the saddle, the person would go get him and lead him off of, off of the tie fence and he would break in half again. They tried, you know, using a bridle doing the groundwork with a bridle, and then if the horse would buck, they could aggressively back the horse up with a bridle and have more more leverage. Uh, they tried letting the horse wear the saddle all night, even, uh, just trying to get it exposed to that. And it, nothing nothing was changing. Every time the horse was saddled, it went through the same steps of, you know, you'd get really tight, and then it would break in half, then the handler would have to get after the horse and correct him, and then once he was tired and had been moving his feet for a while, yeah, he was fine with it. But then you let him sit for 10 minutes, and then you move him again, and, you know, the cinch grabs him again, he gets worried, and then we're off to the, the bucking races again. So we got this horse with the problem and, and starting to work with it to address it, and so we kind of took the opposite approach now from what he'd been previously experiencing and went the more passive and just the little the fairy route in a way. And because like you alluded to with creating anxiety and getting ready for a fight has kind of what had been happening with this horse. He doesn't know what the back cinch is. He feels it. He gets tight. But just because a horse gets tight and starts to kind of hop around on the circle, that's not bucking. That's being tight. And there's a very big difference. And when a horse is tight, they're just unsure of how they should react to the situation. And so they're kind of prepped for both reactions, either exactly. breaking in half or ignoring it. So once he was tight, that was interpreted as bucking. And so then the handler would get after the horse. And so it was like, boom, like instant proof to the horse. Like, oh, you know, this is a bad situation. I knew when I saw that feeling, I knew that I should have been reactive towards this. Because exactly. obviously the reaction I'm getting out of this person. So it kind of connected that negative connotation with the back cinch. And so it's created this like feedback loop in a way where now every time he feels the back cinch, he starts to get tight, but then he, it clicks. Oh, I know what that means. And then sure enough, the handler you know, uh, they, they back it up by aggressively reprimanding the horse. And so it just constantly feeds into itself over and over and more and more. And it just escalates. So what we did with this horse was first, we just went ahead and did a little bit of groundwork. The horse obviously bucked, but when we saddled it up, what did we do? We went back to treating him almost like a colt yielding his hindquarters, um, both ways, you know, set like four or five times each way. And I would go back and do it twice. So I went to the the right side, yielded his hindquarters, four or five circles, went over to the left side, yielded, then back over to the right, then back over to the left, just to change it up from what he hadn't done, something different in a way, mm -hmm. rather than saddling him up and preparing for, okay, he's probably going to buck, so I'm going to whip him and, and hustle him off right now, and let's just get after it. You yeah, know? Yeah. Instead of that, let's set it up a, a bit differently. Then after yielding his hindquarters, then I went ahead and sent him off, but I did it kind of like a like a nagging little fairy. like I just kind of twirled the stick the training stick and pointed off in the direction I wanted the horse to go. And I kind of started to yield the horse's hindquarters and 
because I was at such a distance and this horse is pretty green, it was kind of a crappy yield anyways, where the front end was kind of bleeding out of the, of the yield anyways. He wasn't pivoting on his foot. And so it just kind of melted that yield into lunging out on the circle at a walk and then at the jog. And then, of course, the horse felt the cinch, got tight, and then broke in half on the circle. And I just just ignored it. I just kept, you know, I just let the horse have his fit at the end of the lunge line because he was still running around me. So that worked out fine. And I let him have his fit. He got over it, redirected his feet a couple times, tightened up the cinch to where I wanted it to ride him, sent him off again real casually after I yielded his hindquarters again. He went through another little fit. He was over it. I said, well, let's, let's ride this horse now. Well, let's, let's give this a try. And so that's something he hasn't had. The horse hadn't been ridden yet because he'd been bucking every day. So the, the handler hadn't, didn't want to ride it. Well, I said, well, why don't we just treat this thing like a colt and just go and ride him? You know, there's something to be said for horses that haven't quite given up. You know, they're a little skittish yet, or they have some sort of habit like this right here. This, this kind of lingering problem. Some of the horses where you just get on and ride them, it does something to them mentally yeah. where, especially with a horse that's still a bit skittish with the saddle. You're not quite happy with how quiet he is. Something about sometimes those, not all of them, so don't take this out of context. Some of those horses, you just get on and you just put a ride on them and it just completely changes them mentally. It's like it matures them. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so we did that. And kind of the, the, the way that we went about this particular horse is take away all the, all the, uh, negative connotations or the stress that featured around the saddling and focus on just getting enough groundwork done so that we can go ride it. And now that we're riding the horse, we're adding extra work, extra creating movement, redirecting. Like, we're doing all of that stuff that we may have done in an hour-long groundwork session, just getting after him. We're getting it done very casually, now riding him, doing, working on, on the passenger lesson or one-rain stops. So like, we're working on all of that. Yeah. And so it's kind of supplanting all this extra groundwork that we've done. Plus, oh yeah, I've got my legs banging against him, I've got the back cinch on, blah, blah, blah. So... We ride the horse, and he does just fine. No uh, bucking, nothing. I'm cruising around. I'm tugging on the back cinch. Everything goes really well. I mean, he's even reads my seat, you know, day one. So obviously he remembers the riding that he had previously. So that's kind of become the, the pattern now, is letting the riding take effect and just becoming a habit of every day riding this horse and letting that develop the pattern to where the groundwork isn't so much the focus of anxiety because the groundwork is just a means to get to the riding. And the riding is going to do the hard work for us. Rather than me having to address this bucking issue, because it's not really a horse that wants to buck. It's not like it has a bad attitude toward the saddle or anything like that. It's more just nervous and anxious about the back cinch that is kind of compounded into now kind of a habit. So we're going to let the riding take care of this. I don't, rather than having to be aggressive on the ground, just the workload of riding this horse and the kind of the the maturation process that happens to the horse because he's being ridden is going to kind of do the legwork for us in this particular case. Exactly. So now when I'm saddling him, I just get the saddle on. I might do some, I might yield his hindquarters five or six circles each way still. And then I go and maybe do a little bit of desensitizing at the stand still with a, a lead rope or something. And then maybe a little bit of backing. And then I might send him off, you know, whichever direction, real slow, let him walk, let him trot, then yield him and just let him sit there and desensitize, not asking him to lope, go the other way, let him walk. If he walks around and doesn't even offer to trot, I might stop him again and then desensitize him. Let him realize that when he's just kind of lazy and, and lethargic and relaxed, like he can win out of that situation. Yeah, it's okay to be lazy. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, then I'll baby him up into the lope and I'm not 
everything is kind of almost babied in a way. I let him kind of take advantage of me and be kind of lazy and get away with some things. And after about a week of doing that, we finally got back to instead of breaking in half and bucking, then he was just tight on the circle. Yep. And then a couple of days after that, then he had just had, you could just tell he was thinking about it, but nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And then finally he reached the point where still babying him at that point. So it's not like I could confidently say, well, you go out there and send him off. He won't break in half. Probably not because yeah. that's a little too high energy for what he's capable of. We're repairing mental patterns here. So you yes. can't just, you know, we're still in a fragile state. So we can't just go from one extreme to the other again. We're going to slowly build. But finally, we've gotten to the point now where I could, I sent this horse off and he thought about it for an instant. You could just see in his eye that he would considered it and then thought better of it and went about his business. And we had a, a great ride after that. And the groundwork has gotten to the point where the horse doesn't even break a sweat on the ground. And that's the way I want it. Rather than making hard work associated with the saddle, we can get it done under saddle when I'm riding him because it, it takes the focus away from the actual saddling. Yeah. And then can. as we're loping around, I can pull on the cinch, bump him with my legs, all of that. And I can get the hard work done under saddle you can put his attention and energy to work making progress under saddle instead of doing a bazillion inside turns on the lunge line on the ground and i think that this is a particular this is a specific situation yes but i think there is value in understanding why it's working with this particular horse is because the saddling and that's not to say that every horse has anxiety or a negative connotation attached to the saddle but in this case yes it was more so just that tightness that he would feel was reinforced with someone getting after him aggressively. Yeah. And he, so it just made a negative, it just attached negative emotions or whatever, or negative energy pressure to the saddling. Yeah. And so it just escalated from there. So going back and removing that has done this horse wonders. It's why we say that we don't care when a colt bucks with the saddle for the first time, you know, or even if they get tight on the second or third saddling, we're going to move them out nice and easy, may, maybe redirect them. Not super intense. We're not going to punish them for getting tight. But that's what happened with this horse was that he got tight, which is a natural reaction to that back cinch for the first time. And the the pressure and intensity escalated and it created a a mental habit of being anxious whenever the saddle came out. And I think this is something like, you know, the old the old school cowboy mentality of, you know, oh, turn him out with the saddle, let him wear it all day and all night, you know, like. You could do that for 10 years and he could wear the saddle for 10 and years straight still and he buck still every time you and he saddled. still buck. Yep. And, and so that, because that doesn't address the root cause. So just to cap that off, I want to reinforce the fact that context matters on this issue. This is a horse that had a lot of anxiety and bad habits reinforced when he was punished for having what is in fact a natural reaction to the saddle. There are horses out there that have a specific bad attitude toward the saddle. It's not out of fear or anxiety or just expectation like this. It's out of disrespect. And what we're talking about in this situation is not going to fix, and it's not going to be the right answer for those type of horses. But we felt like on the other side of the scale, the anxiety scale, there's value in addressing what causes those types of things and how we're going about fixing that issue. Now for part two of our advanced stopping discussion, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We talked about introducing a couple of rollback drills on the fence that really start teaching the horse that whoa means something. We're trying to isolate voice and make that an effective cue and not be helping our horse with our hands or with our seat at that point. And we're also introducing the idea that when I ask you to stop, it means get back on your haunches, engage your hind end 
rather than just ceasing forward motion. Exactly, exactly. And that's kind of the, the whole point of the rollback is to get the horse to kind of connect the woe with thinking the opposite way, like thinking backwards almost, you know, because if he doesn't stop off of the woe, we're going to roll him back in the fence and, and lope off the opposite way. So it's like woe connects that, the word with get back over your haunches the opposite way. And so we're trying to connect that and slowly tease the horse into understanding that he needs to use his hind end, sit down on his haunches when we say whoa. But doing the rollback exercise only gets you so far. It really just establishes, okay, the word means something, but how is my body supposed to translate to that doesn't really get that far. And that's where we need to now take this step, which is incorporating a turnaround into the actual rollback so that we can start teaching the horse exactly what part of his body we isolate and what he's supposed to use when he hears that word. Yeah, we need to make it a lot more clear now that they really do need to stick their hind end in the ground and keep their front feet loose. And that's where this drill is going to really help us move that bar along. Exactly, exactly. So at this point, we've gotten to the point where you can go around the arena and throughout your typical, say, loping drills, if you're loping circles or whatever you're doing, you can come up to a fence at different points even if you're just loping around the arena and just work and just steering the horse and softening them up, you can come up to the fence at a 45 degree angle. And if they're not anticipating a stop, you can say, whoa, roll them back. Or if they stop and kind of piddle down after a stride or two, you let them sit there. But we haven't really gotten a whole lot of urgency into the maneuver. So that's where this stage comes in. And at this point as well, you should have been working on Besides your typical loping drills and all that, you should be working on your turnaround as a separate maneuver and your backup and, and just your regular softness and your warm-ups. So all that should be chipping away as you do these stopping drills. It's not like, okay, I need them to stop, so, uh-oh, better work on a turnaround. Like, we should have this kind of developed as we've been moving the horse along in the training. So as I come up to the fence now, same thing. We're still going to use the fence for this scenario. Not until we get this firmly established are we actually going to do it off the fence. But I'll come up to the fence at my 45 again. I'll say, whoa, and I'll give this horse a stride, just kind of like like before with the rollback. We gave him a, So we're not going to ultimately jump the expectations up unreasonably. We're going to have a stride, and if the horse doesn't stop with some urgency, we're going to roll the horse back in the fence, but instead of rolling him back and loping off, we're going to take him right into a turnaround. Where a lot of people make mistakes with this, and I want to stress this point because you see it all the time, is they turn the horse the opposite way, they roll the horse back, they turn loose, and then they pick the horse back up again into a spin. Everything should melt together as one. You don't want to have a mini release in no, the middle. Exactly. No, exactly. We, we take the horse, we roll them back into the fence, right into a spin. And not a spin like we're talking about, like a, a reining horse type of a spin. Almost like we're turning the horse on our foot, where the horse is spinning around with their nose bent all the way around to the inside if we're turning to the right, the horse's head has been around to the right, almost to our toe. It's more bent to about a 90-degree angle. And that angle is going to allow us to get that horse to, because at this point, they're still fairly green at turning the horse around. So having that extra bend will allow the horse to step out and around with that outside front foot. But also, the little bit more bend kind of naturally sucks that horse back a little bit, which is what we're looking for here. And it allows us to connect a little bit of outside rein as we bend that horse's head around. We kind of draw the outside rein towards our inside hip. But all that also allows us to draw the horse back over and over himself, which is going to be the key here. So we roll the horse back into the fence, take him right into that turnaround with his head bent about 90 degrees. 
Now, we're not looking for a fast, like, super quick foot speed type of a spin. We're just looking to redirect his feet, and we're going to wait in this turnaround until two things happen. One, he steps around fairly cleanly with some cadence. He needs to ha- he needs to feel underneath of us like he's stepping cleanly and with a decent cadence, but not, not anything quick. We're not worried about speed. We're just worried about some clean, some cleanliness and crispness about the turn. And we're waiting until we feel him load up on his hind end. Like he kind of rocks back over his hind end. And that's when we're going to turn the horse loose. Now, in the early stages, I would probably just turn the horse loose and lope him off. Very simple. It's assay woe, pull him into the fence, into a turnaround, bend that head, outside rein, across his neck, towards my, like both of my hands are towards my inside hip. So if I'm spinning the horse to the right, both my reins are directed towards my right hip. The outside rein is across his neck to allow me, like the outside rein is kind of dictates the size of my spin. The less outside rein, the the more his front end will be stepping out forward and the less sucked back he will be. But some horses are pretty naturally sucked back and so you don't need to use any outside rein. But if I have a horse that's really forward and kind of, you know, belligerently pushing out of my turnaround all the time, I'm going to need more outside rein as kind of a brake rein to draw him back in towards me. So in the initial stages, you just turn the horse around until you feel those steps, you feel him load up, and then turn loose, lope the horse off the opposite direction. Now, like I mentioned earlier, the second way that you can go about this is to go right from that spin into softening that ribcage up forward and around on a circle. And so you can break loose that stiffness that you may feel in the spin. Now, there shouldn't it shouldn't be an outrageous level of stiffness if you've done your homework up to this point, but there's still going to be some stiffness there. Yeah. So you can start to break that loose by going right from the rollback into a spin and right from that spin into softening that rib cage up around your inside leg. But in the initial stages, if you do that right away, you're taking the horse's focus away from the task at hand. Once he actually starts to do this consistently and sticks his hind end in the ground, then you can add the bending the horse around your inside leg and softening him up as a way to enhance the exercise. But for this stage right now, teaching it, He's not going to understand what we're trying to teach him if we throw too much at him. I don't want him to be focused on the bending and the softening when we're worried about stopping right now. Yeah, I think that's an important point to be made is that when we were initially taught this type of rollback exercise and different modifications you can make, that was one wrench that got thrown in was roll him back into bending forward and around. But what happens is you lose the hind end. The hind end just kind of is out of the picture at that point. It just kind of washes out there. And we don't really get the concept across. We need them to stick their butt in the ground. So that's why we don't do that before we go to turn them around. We would rather get the turnaround going really well first, get that consistent. Then we can work on bending them up out of it, softening them around, and enhancing it a little bit more. Exactly. And it's not to say that rolling them back into the fence straight into a bend is something we won't do. It's especially beneficial for problem horses or ones that have really bad habits or really bracy and stiff with being taken a hold of that's kind of all you have getting a horse into a turnaround is the is you have no ability to do that but this is in but a different is, context this, this yeah. is a specific example for this is much more for a horse that you're trying to develop an actual a real stop on not just kind of a you know an average everyday riding horse that say has some problems or something like that yep. we're trying to just get broke but going back to this exercise the whole key really is to stay in that turn. I can't stress this enough. The whole key is you have to stay in that turn until you the foot the footfalls feel clean, not fast, but just clean 
they're stepping across, not not behind, because a lot of horses, when they try to suck back, they start stepping behind with that outside front foot. They need to reach out and across with that outside front foot as they're stepping around in that turnaround, and you need to feel them load up on their hind end. Now, you may have to have somebody that can kind of spot this pointed out to you initially, because it's a, it's a bit of a different feel. But once you're kind of pointed out what's happening, it's fairly easy to identify when the horse is loading up on their hind end. And that's what we're trying to equate. And so you see the importance there of taking them right from the rollback into the spin, because we have to equate whoa with loading up on their hind end. So if there is a release of pressure or release from the reins after the rollback, you have no longer bridge the gap between the woe and the spin. You need you to maintain, that works? you need to maintain contact through the maneuver. Exactly, exactly, because we're going right from woe right into that spin until they load up, boom, turn loose and you get the win. So that's how important this is to go right from the woe into that spin basically. So it's almost like the rollback, you know, I say woe into a spin. Yes, there's the rollback involved there, but it's really not so much that as it is pull, drawing them into the fence right into a spin. And then when you feel them step around cleanly and just with some cadence and they load up on their hind end, turn loose, lope the horse off. And, and you can go back. If the horse is really struggling with this, you may go just up and down the fence or on a circle right next to the fence. But as a general rule, I just throw this in throughout my normal, say, circling and steering exercises at the lope. Uh, if I have a horse that's really struggling, I may go to the jog and do this, but as a general rule, if the horse has some talent and is going to be one that you can do some stopping with, that won't be too much of an issue. But only work on this really as like a specific drill if the horse is, say, really struggling and they haven't, and maybe that's because you haven't done enough connecting woe with the rollback up to that point. But if the horse has kind of got that concept, then you can really just throw this in throughout your ride to keep him mentally engaged with what you're doing. He doesn't need to just shut everything off and fall asleep and only assume that stopping happens when we do the exercise itself. And then the rest of the ride, he doesn't even have to focus on the stopping. Exactly. Like at any point, we might have a stop if we come up to the fence. So he needs to be mentally, that helps him stay mentally engaged with me as we do this. So once we've established on the fence that the woe, he needs to stop. And if not, we're going to turn him around. And you slowly get a little bit pickier and pickier with what you accept. So first you give him a stride window to get stopped. And then you pull him into the fence, into the spin, turn loose. Then you give him like a half a stride. And then from there, he'll stop once you say, whoa, he's going to stop. But now you're going to get pickier with how he uses his hind end in the stop. And so then pretty soon he's going to stop, but he's just going to plop on all four feet. But it was an immediate stop off of, whoa, well, that's not good enough now. So then you're going to spin him around until he loads up on his hind end. And then you're going to lope him off. Well, then he's going to stop, but he's just going to skate behind with his hind end. Like he's going to, he's going to lock his hind end, his hind feet together and they're going to slide on the ground and his front feet are going to kind of walk along as he does it. So technically it's a sliding stop or it looks it on the ground, but he didn't engage his hind end. He was just stood up right, like skating across the ground. That may be good enough at first because it's better than a plop, but now, now he's got that and it's not good enough as actually engaging his hind end underneath of him. So then you'll turn him into the fence, spin him around, lope him off. Well, then eventually he's going to find it and he's going to finally sit down on his hind end. And at that point, you're ready to move off of the fence. Now, at every point that he gets a little bit better and he tries, that sets your bar, that readjusts your bar. But at the same time, when he gives you that try, you're going to sit there and acknowledge that and let him sit there, rub on him 30 seconds to a minute, make a big deal of it. Mm -hmm. Now, 
say you get in a situation where you're working on it throughout your ride and the horse, say you've gotten to a point where he's just, he started to just skate on his hind end. You're trying to push through that and he's not figuring it out. Then you may have to kind of abandon throwing it in throughout your ride and actually go address it as an exercise to finish your session off with some positive ground. Now, once we've got that part accomplished, where they're, they're, they've understood it now on the fence, and they've understood that when you stop, then they stick their hind end in the ground, you let them, you let them stop and rest, right? So now we're at a point where we're all ready to move the horse off the fence. Once the horse actually starts to stop on the fence, not more than just a plop, but they actually start to engage their hind end, once they understand that, then I will start, before I let them sit and rest, I'll back them up a few steps while on the fence, and then I'll stop and let them sit there. It's kind of like a little mini step in between that. But now that the horse has done this confidently, and as a general rule, they stop and they stop well, like they engage their hind end. They don't plop with, on all four feet. They engage their hind end. They take it seriously. Now we can move off the fence and start doing the same thing just throwing it in throughout a ride, but now off the fence. So if I'm steering the horse around across the arena, steering them, softening them up, loping my circles, I can turn them off of my circle, lope them a few strides, say, whoa, off the fence, and do the exact same exercise. But now now the rules change just a little bit because we don't have the fence to do a rollback into the fence and turn them around. So if the horse completely ignores the stop altogether off the fence, and again, when you're off the fence, you may notice they do this right away at first, not a big deal. If they completely ignore the stop whatsoever, you take them right into a spin wherever you're at. You just pull them around into a spin, turn them around until they load up on their hind end, they're stepping around cleanly, and then you lope them off and you opposite direction that you were heading, and then you would try it again if they completely ignored it. Now, if they stop, but it is below average quality, it's worse than what they were doing on the fence, you're going to back them up first, and then you're going to turn them around and wait until they load up on their hind end, step across cleanly, lope them off in the opposite direction that you're heading, and then you can try it again. Now, if the horse does stop well, you have kind of two options at that point. If the horse is really green, I may just drop everything and let him sit there. As he starts to progress and build his confidence, and he's not quite in that in that confidence phase, then I'll back him up four or five steps and then let him sit there. Yeah. And that's kind of the stage that we get to now where we're off the fence. The rule of thumb is, doesn't stop at all, you're going to just take him right into a spin. It doesn't matter that there's not a fence there. If he stops, but half-heartedly, back him up, turn him around. Wait till he loads up on his hind end, lope him off. Always the opposite direction that you were heading. If he stops really well, in the initial stages off the fence when he's green, boom, you win. Turn everything loose. As he builds his confidence and he understands what's expected of him, then I'll always add a little bit of a backup after every stop. Now, when I'm ready to walk the horse forward again or go do something else or lope him off again, you see some people, they just, all right, walk the horse off, lope him off again. Other people turn their horses around or back them up first. I like to do that. Once I've started stopping a horse off the fence, I never like to just push them right forward again. I don't know what, you know, you've kind of ruined the whole point of the stop yeah. itself by just bleeding them out of it by walking out just of it. Just pull them around soft or do something other than just springing forward again. Yeah, exactly. Do some sort of like gently back them up and just turn them around a, a half a circle or a, or a whole, you know, spin and then walk them out of it. Yeah. And I usually like to head the opposite direction just to create good mental patterns. We're all about mental habits here in the stopping game. So just to cap this off, everything we've talked about up to this point has had a very big emphasis 
on stopping off of woe. We've been trying to use the reins in our seat to as minimal of a degree as we can and get the horse to really recognize our voice and really commit to the stop by engaging his hind end. We're going to talk about in our next, in part three of this series, how we go about using a light draw on the reins as additional leverage to really get that horse to stick his butt in the ground and we can start taking our stops to a new level, eventually working on our rundowns and fencing and doing some other drills to really get a sliding stop on our horse. Thank you guys for all your support on the Project Horse podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.